Today's scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 12, verse 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, although he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark, for the saving of his household. For this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Japo, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. There from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, the heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them for a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. For faith, or by faith, Isaac invokes future best blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, 
enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of, all the, um, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the desert and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. You may be seated. Thanks, Judy. <clears throat> As we get seated, let me pray for us. Loving Father, be with us now. Give us eyes to see wondrous things in your word and help us to see you more clearly. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm on the team here and I just want to add my welcome to Kendra's welcome. It is so good to see each of you here today. I know many of you are back from vacations. Welcome back. The weather is still quite nice, so it's fine. <laughs> Before we begin, George and Pat are in Alaska, but I'd like just again to express uh, our appreciation to George for serving us so well these past four weeks and reminding everyone what you already know, that John and I are young and hip. <laughs> so I'm going to start off with a story from when I was even younger, 15 years younger in fact, when I was in the army. Now, before you get the wrong impression about how cool or tough that makes me, <laughs> I need to give two qualifiers, okay? The first is that uh, I didn't sign up for the army voluntarily. It's something that every Singaporean male has to serve for two years. The second thing that you need to know is that I was only in combat training for four months of those two years before I got injured and lived out the rest of my days doing clerical work which I can tell you is definitely neither cool nor tough. And I can see Leslie's disappointment in his face. But, so as you can imagine, this story is from when, before I got injured, because nothing interesting happened after. <laughs> we were on a route march to the ferry terminal. We just spent seven days in the jungle. Now, you need to think heat wave kind of heat, like 32 degrees Celsius, that's, oh, what did I write down? 90 degrees Fahrenheit, but with 90% humidity, okay? We were out for seven days, but we didn't have seven sets of uniforms, which meant that every morning, first thing you had to do was to put on your used uniform from the day before. Your cold, sweat-drenched, mud-crusted uniform. The seven days were spent with little sleep, doing training exercises, navigating through the jungle, crawling in mud, getting shouted at, and in your tightness, shouting at everyone else. You end each day absolutely exhausted, and by about the third day, you're just pretty much a constant exhausted. 
You're just willing, just going through the motions. You're just trying to, you're just willing time to move faster before you can go home. Anyway, this story comes at the end of those seven days. We packed up everything and we were slowly marching, making our way to the ferry terminal to take the ferry back home. We're marching, we come to a fork in the path. And instead of taking the path towards the ferry terminal, the officers tell us to take the path away from the ferry terminal. We begin to suspect something is not good. <laughs> and then the officer stops us and he confirms our suspicions. He announces they've decided to extend the field camp. And even as I tell the story now, <laughs> I can remember that feeling of just wanting to give up. You've got blisters and abrasions everywhere that you thought were not possible. We were so tired, so exhausted, we had absolutely nothing left. We'd come to the end of ourselves. We just wanted to give up. And I wonder if that's a bit of how some of us feel this morning. The sum, it's the summer, the weather is nice, but that doesn't reflect how we feel inside. We are tired. We have, for some of us, we have nothing left to give. We've come to the end of ourselves. We just want to give up. Well, that, that's what was happening to the church our passage was written to. The church was, was facing lots of opposition and was at the point of wanting to give up. And the writer is writing to them to call them to endure. See, the church wants to give up and the writer is encouraging them, exhorting them, hang in there and to live by faith. Look at 10 verse 39. But we are not of those, he writes, who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You see, as the church wants to give up, the writer encourages them, exhorts them to persevere persevere in faith and he starts by reminding them what faith is and in doing so he very helpfully corrects many of the ways that biblical faith has become misunderstood by many of us today you see we read it in we read it in in in, in chapter 11 part of living by faith means waiting for things that have not yet happened and living based on things we cannot see but we need to be clear that doesn't mean that biblical faith is blind Biblical faith is not blind. It's not blindly or naively hoping with no basis that things will just somehow magically get better. Biblical faith is not the absence of logic or evidence or facts. 11 verse 1 is key. It uses the words assurance and conviction. Some of us may have picked up on that already. See, the point is that God, in His grace, has revealed enough for us to be able to trust Him and His promises. In creation and throughout history, God has revealed Himself time and time again to be faithful. And it is His revealed faithfulness that is what our faith is based on. You see, God's revealed faithfulness is the basis of that assurance, of our assurance that all His promises will come true, even though they haven't happened yet. It's the reason, the foundation, the anchor for our conviction of the things he has told us, even when we can't see them. 
George put it so well last week, didn't he, when he said, biblical faith is not a leap into the dark, it's stepping into the light. Based on what God has revealed to be true. You see, when we struggle in our journey in life, when we feel like giving up, God reassures us that we can trust in His faithfulness. He rallies us to endure, to persevere, to live by faith and not by sight because He has revealed Himself to always be faithful. So Hebrews 11, which is what we, Julie, helpfully just read through for us, is a wonderful passage of many, many examples of God's revealed faithfulness revealed in the lives of people throughout history who lived by faith, trusting in His faithfulness. Now, before we go on, for some of us, especially if you didn't grow up in the church, the names and stories we would have read through would seem foreign to you. And that's completely normal. This morning, we won't be going into many of them in detail because we don't have the time. But I'd, I'd encourage you, if you're not familiar with these people and these stories, to spend some time this week rereading this passage. And then go and ask someone about the names and stories the writer writes about. If you came with someone this morning, ask that someone. Or if you came on your own, come and find me and I will connect you with someone because this is our heritage. And every one of these names and stories is worth digging into. So back to our passage, there's so much that Hebrews 11 has to encourage us, but this morning we're going to focus on just four things, four ways that God calls us, encourages us, exhorts us to live by faith. Faith and disorientation, faith and the impossible, faith and disappointment, faith and Jesus. I'll say that again, faith and disorientation, faith and the impossible, faith and disappointment, and faith and Jesus. So firstly, faith and disorientation. So about 18 months after our family moved to Canada, I was driving on the road. I came to a road divider, and for some reason, I decided to drive to the left of the road divider. If you're trying to figure out what that means, this means that I was driving on the wrong side of the road. Something that quickly came to my attention when I saw a car driving directly towards my car. (laughs) Thankfully, I managed to turn off onto another road before that car met my car. But the point here is that this is what disorientation looks like. See, disorientation comes when there's a clash between where you are and where you think you are. I grew up driving on the left side of the road, and in that moment, for whatever reason, I became disoriented. There was a clash in my mind between where I was and where I used to be. See, Hebrews 11 tells us as we live by faith, we should expect disorientation. Because we should expect a clash between where we are living now and the better home we are headed for. Verses 4 to 12 give us stories of people who lived lives of disorientation. They they lived lives that completely clashed with the culture and values of everyone else around them. When you take time to read through it again, you you will see how they, they chose to give up their best to God even though it cost them more than not doing that. They they built a massive boat when there was no water. They left the comfort and security of their home to wander as exiles in a foreign land where there was no comfort and no security. 
Why did they do this? Why did they live lives of disorientation? Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We see it here again, don't we? When we live by faith, we have feet in two different homes. The, the home we live in right now and the, the better home that we're headed for, that God promises that we have in Jesus. Having feet in two different homes means we should be prepared for lives of disorientation, for the clash of values and, and culture of one home with the other. And so as Christians, we need to be prepared for that clash between our old lives, that is, the lives we were living before we met Christ, and our new lives, the clash between what the world says is right and what God says is right. That's something that hits you especially hard when you're a new Christian. You see, when you first become a Christian, there's this great excitement, isn't there, at your new faith and your new life and your new community. But then there will come that moment of profound disorientation. When you realize that there is a clash between the life you've been living and the life that God calls you to live. For all of us, new or seasoned Christian, we need to prepare, even now, for the disorientation that will come in a month's time in the fall. You see, we need to prepare for, for when we return to the rhythms of work and school and community, where we're confronted once again, hit on between the clash of values of the world and the values of God's kingdom. The clash that we forget when we're on our three-week holiday. There are a number of you here who I know are currently looking for a new church. And looking for a new church can be so disorienting, can't it? Because as you think through what you're looking for in a church, especially if you've spent a long time in that previous church, you really need to work hard to differentiate what is cultural and what is biblical. What is preference and what should be non-negotiable. The point is, our true home is in heaven. And as we live as strangers and exiles in this world, we will be disoriented. And so we need to prepare for it. So how can we prepare for it? One way is this. When we face disorientation, we orientate ourselves by asking ourselves, where is my true home? When we have two feet in two different homes, we need to remember where are we headed? Which is our true home? You see, in times when you're tempted to turn back, and you, you will be tempted to turn back, in the times when you're tempted to give up, and some of us feel like giving up even right now, look to your true home and ask God to open your eyes to see that it's a better home. Verse 16 but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He's prepared for them a city. So, first point, faith and disorientation. Second point, faith and the impossible. 
We're going to zoom in a bit on a story that we have in verse 17. Verse 17 talks about the story of Abraham. So background, God promised Abraham that through Isaac, Abraham's only son, Abraham would have a long family line that becomes a great nation. And that great nation would bless all the families of the earth. It's a huge promise. But then one day, God asked Abraham to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice to him. What's going on here? Isaac was the one through whom God said he would fulfill his promise to Abraham. How could God keep his promise to Abraham if Abraham sacrificed his only means of God fulfilling that promise? It seemed impossible. And so at that moment, Abraham had a decision to make. Trust and obey God or trust himself. Verse 17 summarizes what happened. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Though Isaac shall be, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, referring to Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Long story short, Abraham chose to trust and obey God. Even though obeying God made it seem impossible that God would fulfill his promises to Abraham. So verse 19, when it says that Abraham figuratively got his son back from the dead, it's because at the last moment, God provided a ram as a substitute sacrifice. The point here is that living by faith means choosing to obey God, even when it doesn't seem like a very good idea. And we've all been there. Trusting in God's promises, even when it seems impossible that God could keep those promises. Let's get practical. What does this mean? It means sometimes standing up for or against something despite the cost. It might mean persevering on the path that God has you on, even when it doesn't seem to bear fruit, even when you have no idea how God would provide. At the workplace, it might mean saying no to projects and profit because that would dishonor God. Christ City, in this season, what area is God calling you to trust Him in? What promises is He calling you to have a special faith for? What area, what path is He calling you to obey Him on? Summer is a time for us to take a step back, to relax, but also to reflect and to prepare. And I wonder for us, for some of us, as we prepare for the fall, how many of us really need to wrestle with what God is calling us to do? You see, living by faith means obeying and trusting God that He will keep His promises, even when it seems impossible for Him to keep those promises. Now, we need to be clear here. As we trust God's promises, we need to be careful not to mix up what God promises with how God will fulfill that promise. For example, God promises in Romans 8.28 that all things will work together for the good of those who love Him. But what we sometimes do is that we take a promise like that and we impose our own expectations on how God should fulfill that promise. And then we get disappointed when God doesn't fulfill the promise the way we think he should. How many of us have had, or perhaps are having right now, a crisis of faith because God has not fulfilled a promise the way that we thought he should? 
No, I don't want to undermine the the difficulty of the struggle. But it's important that we think through this. Which brings us to our third point, faith and disappointment. Look at verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. By faith, God used people to do some pretty incredible things. Things that seem like they're stuffed out of a fairy tale, but this is no fairy tale. Conquering kingdoms, enforcing justice, stopping the mouths of lions, quenching the power of fire, even bringing people back from the dead. By faith, God has and God will do some pretty incredible things through you and for you. And I know some of you here have got stories to tell already. But that's not all. Let's read on verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. See, living by faith means that God can and God will do some pretty incredible things through and for you. But it also means that God can and will use moments of crisis and tragedy through and for you. If you're here this morning and you're trying to figure out what what the Christian life means, here are two words you need to focus on today. Some and others. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. The point is that we will suffer for being Christian. We will do what is right and we will lose our job. We will stand up for what is right and lose our friends. We will be mocked and mistreated, and marginalized. There are parts of the world today where people are tortured and even killed for being Christian. But none of this should ever be taken to mean that God is not faithful to His promises. You see, living by faith doesn't mean faith that everything we pray for will be granted. (laughs) Actually, it's much bigger than that. Living by faith means having faith that God hears every one of our prayers, that He understands our hurt, but that He is wise enough and loving enough not to give us everything we ask for, but to give us everything we would ask Him for if we knew everything He knew. Do you see the difference? Sometimes the reason why God doesn't give us what we ask for is because He knows better than us. And he loves us more than we love ourselves. How many of us have prayed desperately for something only for five years later to thank thank God he didn't give what we asked for? This is so important to hold on to because living in this world means that not only will we suffer for being Christians, 
we will also suffer the effects of living in a fallen world that everyone has to go through, Christian or non-Christian. This is a sobering reminder that some of us don't need reminding on because some of us are wrestling with it right now. People will let us down. We will pray for healing and things will get worse. We will pray for safety and disaster will strike. We will come to points where we have nothing left to give, when we are completely empty and just want to give up. We will pray for deliverance and no saviour will come. But yet as Christians, God calls us to persevere and endure. He calls us to live by faith because our ultimate saviour has already come. And our ultimate saviour has guaranteed that we are headed for a better home. You see, that saviour was sent by God himself because that saviour was God himself. God's ultimate revelation of his faithfulness, who is the ultimate basis of our faith in God. See, by faith, we hold on to, we cling on to the comfort of God's promise that this is not our final home. We are headed for a better home. This is not all there is. Look at verse 39 of chapter 11. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This struggle that you have right now, this pain, this grief, this uncertainty, this is not a fulfillment of the promise. Hold on to the promise because this is not your home. In moments of disorientation, orientate yourselves. This is not your home. When God's promises seem impossible to come true, hang in there because this is not your home. When you are overwhelmed with disappointment and grief and pain, take comfort. This is not it. This is not your home. This is not our home because our Savior has come. And He has provided, guaranteed by His blood, that we have a better home. A better home where there's going to be no more pain and no more suffering. A better home where we, which we are headed for by faith in our glorious Savior. And that brings me to our final point, faith in Jesus. Or should I be more specific? Faith in Jesus. Because biblical faith is not a leap into the dark, it's stepping into the light. Based on what God has revealed in himself to be true. Christ City, our faith is based on God's faithfulness that he's revealed to us. And his faithfulness is most supremely and gloriously and wonderfully revealed in Jesus in whom and through whom all of God's promises are fulfilled, have been fulfilled, and will be fulfilled. In whom and through whom we can have joy. Yes, joy. Even as we might feel empty right now, we have joy. Look at how the writer concludes 12, in 12 verse 1. Therefore, he writes, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ City, there are some of you here who are going through unspeakable tragedy, unspeakable difficulty. And if you ask me why, I will tell you I have no idea. If you ask me, what do I do right now? I'll tell you, I don't know. But I can tell you this, it will not last. I don't know how long you have to endure it for, but I tell you to endure because God says endure because it will not last. (laughs) And one day there will be joy. Look again how Jesus is described in verse 2. Who for the joy that was set before him. The only thing that can motivate us to live by faith is joy. The only thing that will ever motivate you to endure is that it will end soon. You can't hope without hope. You see, living by faith means hardship and sacrifice. It will mean discipline and hard work to cast off every weight and sin which holds us back from running the race that God has set for us. But understanding why makes all the difference. You see, God is not a strict dictator who uses fear of punishment to force people to do what he wants. God is not some cruel dictator who hides in the darkness and wants us to just go looking looking for him. No, God is the God who comes looking for us. God is the saviour king who took the punishment on himself so that we can live for the joy that is ours in Christ. As one pastor put it, living by faith is not the language of you should, it's the language of we can. Do you see the difference? It's not that you should live by faith, it's that you can live by faith. In fact, we want to live by faith because of the joy that is set before us in Christ. You see, we, we desire heaven not because we should, but because it is the better home. Do you see God's grace at work here? When we struggle, when we, when we come to the end of ourselves, when we feel like giving up, God is not coming to you with, with a stick to force you to suck it up and do better and try harder. No, God is the one who comes alongside us to put an arm around us. To give, us an, to give us a hug, to carry us up if he has to, to comfort us and to assure us that we can live by faith, even when we don't think we can. He comes to put an arm around us to encourage us, encouraging us to look to Jesus and to persevere for the fullness of joy that, believe it or not, is already yours in Christ whether it feels like it or not. Look at verse 2 again. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the start and he's the finish. Faith starts and ends with Jesus. You see, in our journey of faith, so often we want to give up because we make the mistake of thinking that faith starts and ends with us. 
We want to give up because we have nothing else to give and we think that it is our faith that saves us, that it is our good works that saves us. There's a story that I've adapted from another pastor that I think makes this point quite well. Say you're visiting the king. You make your way to his palace, you go to the front gate and there's a security guard or even the king's security guards. You say, I'm here to see the king. And, he, and he, the security guard replies, why should I let you in? What can you say that would let you in? Because I really, really, really want to see him? Because I'm his biggest fan? Because I volunteered all these hours for his charity and foundations? Because I've read all these books and I know everything there is to know about him? No, <laughs> there's only one thing you can say that would let you in and it's got nothing to do with you. It doesn't start with I. Not I really want to see him, I've done this, or I know this. The only thing you can say that will let you in starts with he. Because he said I could come. See, faith doesn't start or end with I, it starts and ends with him. Jesus has prepared a better home for us in Christ city. We can live by faith because he says we can come. Let's stand as we respond to God's word.